0: No, I say, I say to
1: the fans that the fans are the fans, and the fans have the right to have their opinions and to have their reaction. Football, everything. I'm so happy, believe me.
2: I'm so happy
1: you know it Robert
2: Lewandowski. Dream Team Dream Team Fire Swoosh I am flabbergasted and they're here I wouldn't
1: even let them on the bush after the match I'm going to back to Manchester <laughs> The only time uh, tennis ball's ever made me angry what's viral on Twitter for us tonight is tennis ball These boys are fucking
3: <laughs> mentality giants it's unbelievable
1: This is a great football and cause to could players and go out and play that rubbish Yes. In August 2020, yeah, I'm taking over, and that's the decision. I'm angry, I'm angry, Tony, I have to be honest with you. Stephen Kenny,
2: we've won it, so go on, go back to Scotland and get lost.
1: And I'm certainly going to
0: be a part of that, I'm going to manage that, I'm going to make sure we're even better. Inviting is there! Robbie
3: Brady brings us all to
1: New intro, who this? I hope you enjoyed that. New little intro there, a bit of a fresh sound on the podcast for the next while with a little help from an Irish band there that I'm sure a lot of you will recognise. Hello and welcome to the Tree at the Back podcast. I'm joined as always by Phil Green and Enda Higgins. How are you, lads?
3: Evening, Good, lads. Nice. Good to talk to you.
1: So I think imitation is the sincerest form of flattery there when it comes to those style of uh, mashups, taking a leaf out of the uh, the second captain's book um, the true kings of the audio bit, I think a good few bits thrown in there. Does anything stand out, lads, when you first give it a listen?
3: Definitely for me, the dumpy pen throwing and the the, the, <laughs> the, the kind of I don't like. I it, I know it's it, a hoot, maybe I don't know what to call it properly, but definitely uh, just the the sheer sound sound of that ah oh, like absolute chest kiss, incredible. <laughs> Um, the
0: Mourinho bit give me a bit of PTSD there but um, (laughs) um, being on with two Liverpool fans I'm sure you know he'll enjoy that but um, yeah that and the Dunphy bit would be the standouts for me but um, it all sounds great actually
1: yeah it's very well done Um, a little bit of housekeeping before we move on for any listeners who like what they're hearing on here make sure to join our Discord server for some football chat and big game watch alongs with ourselves and the, uh, the growing community over there and if that's not enough, for you you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter, which is out every Friday afternoon. Um, so loads of good stuff on in that, including some essential reading from around the world. So um, perfect for a little bit of dossing there of a Friday afternoon. And you'll find links for both in the show notes um, on your app or wherever you find your podcasts. And it's on Twitter as well if you go into our Twitter bio. Um as for today, lads, um I mean we're coming off uh, the back of a, a pretty busy week in, in the football mill and a big week in the Champions League where we'll be taking a closer look at the German clubs um and all the other goings on and the Bundesliga with Stefan Biankowski from the Independent a little bit later on. But first, um Phil obviously going to you first here, um Liverpool's European hopes, I suppose hanging on by a trade after Tuesday's three one loss to Real Madrid. Um there's a lot to unpack there, and I think we'll get to the, the Keita situation um, and his selection shortly. But um, just starting with Trent Alexander-Arnold, um, and I mean, he wasn't having the best of seasons, and that's not a huge statement really at this point. But Gareth Southway went and made his own statement, um, kind of highlighting the situation by leaving him out of the latest England squad. And that has kind of heightened pretty much everything Trent does now, Um be it good or bad, and I mean, he played pretty well against Arsenal at the weekend, um, probably one of his, probably his best performance um, of the season, and then Carragher and Neville kind of got into that debate on Monday, which um, kind of grew legs, and then on, on Tuesday, obviously, Madrid, I mean, they really targeted him with with uh, likes Cross Kroos and, and Modric there, who had all the time in the world to do what they liked in midfield. Um, what did you make of all of that?
3: Yeah, I, I suppose with, with Trent on on Saturday, Arsenal didn't ask him any questions defensively and let him do what he's best at, which is get forward and kind of get on the ball and, and be a bit of a creative fulcrum. Whereas Madrid on Tuesday put him in situations that he that we know he doesn't like being in. And not that he's a bad defender, but it's definitely the weakest part of his game. And they they really went for it. Um, Michael Cox had a great piece on The Athletic. I'm not sure if you saw it, kind of analysing how Madrid's midfield kind of dominated the game partially because they were given the space but like specifically what they did so they spent kind of the first 20 minutes half an hour p- putting balls out to the left wing but to the fullback Mendy instead of to Vinicius Jr and then when the ball for the fir- or for the sorry for the second goal came also, well it was true with the first goal as well when it, when it went to Vinicius um they trented kind of bit a little bit too far out to the fullback and the 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 white forward was gone with the ball and it kind of contributed to the second goal as well when he got himself in a muddle but i think there was kind of two sides to the coin with trent on tuesday part of it was really good work from madrid really targeting that right hand side area not just trent but nat phillips as well and hmm. um, but then even when trent was on the ball i thought he was very sloppy in possession even his crossfields that got away were kind of going 10 or 15 yards behind Robertson. They weren't going to feet or into space. And um, so I think it was. And like he was clearly still very worked up. You saw how he reacted to the linesman. He didn't get a call. I can't remember what it was, if he gave away a foul or didn't get a foul or whatever he did. And he really lost a head. So he's clearly still very revved up um, about the England situation. It seems to have gotten to him. He harnessed that well on Saturday against a team who allowed him to play to his strengths. And then on Tuesday, he so he got the other side of the coin where... A team really kind of targeted his area and exploited him a little bit. And then when he did get a chance to be on the ball a little bit and he was a bit better second half, but still, I think the point holds, he was, sl- he was sloppier than you'd expect him to be. Um, even in situations where Madrid gave him a bit more room.
0: Yeah. I, I thought that the two weeks off from England you know, were actually do him good, um, I've I've seen mixed commentary on him that I don't fully agree with uh, Henry Winter in particular saying he's somebody that's always, you know, been reliable for Garrett Southgate, which simply isn't the case. I mean, he only has 12 international appearances to his name. And when you think of the amount of games that England have played in the last two or three years, when Trent has been, you know, pretty much the standout right back, certainly in, in attacking terms in the Premier League, mm. he's, he's never really been first choice for Southgate. Um, so, I wasn't overly surprised when he was left out considering certainly the former Trippier in his 18 months at Atletico and coming back from the ban I I do think he's probably the most kind of balanced right back England have and of course Kyle Walker is having a bit of a resurgence after a difficult couple of years for England and Man City so when you take those two into account um, it wasn't overly surprising I mean this is Southgate, who's, you know, leaving out Jack Grealish and leaving out other players. Um was very tough on Chris Smalling, obviously, when he first came into the national side as well uh, as manager. Um, so it, it is a tough place to be um, to try and get back into his good books um, when you're left out. But I thought two weeks at home preparing for the Arsenal-Liverpool match with Klopp and a few of the others. Um, Salah was, obviously came back early from from uh, international football as well. so. I was a bit surprised that Carragher got as angry as he did, um, especially when his analysis after the Madrid game was pretty much what Neville had said two days earlier, which is <laughs> um, the defensive mistakes are a problem for Trent Alexander-Arnold. So um, it's it's become a bigger problem now for Liverpool because they don't have the cover that Alexander-Arnold would have been used to. I mean, if you look at that first goal, for example, I think Van Dijk cleans that up very quickly um, and potentially the second goal as well. Um, whereas with Nat Phillips being the defender on the right-hand side, I think that's probably just as big an issue as Alexander-Arnold's form.
1: Yeah, I think the, the Nat Phillips fan club kind of took a little bit of a hit on, on Tuesday night, um, which is to be expected, I suppose. I mean, he's he's not Champions League versus Real Madrid in the quarter-finals calibre, um, and I think we all know that. But, um, I, mean, I'm trying, I mean, I... And you might disagree, me. I, I don't think he's necessarily a bad defender. And I mean, if he was a bad defender, I, I think he would have been found out a lot more regularly than he has been. Um, like, in fairness, Zidane had had their homework done on, on, on Tuesday and, and they really targeted him. But, I mean, you're going to get success every so often against a fullback who is kind of on an island back there with a defender who isn't hugely comfortable or doesn't have a whole lot of experience Um I mean he he's his bad mistakes are really amplified because usually it involves i mean a, a, a pacey player like Rashford or or like Vinicius um getting in behind him and kind of you know putting him on at gates but I think overall through his throughout his career he, he he's defended quite well and I mean the Kid decision to to drop him I mean you could argue that you know it's given him a chance to get a couple of weeks off and and, and, and rest his legs a little bit. But, I mean, he's, he's kind of left him in a position now where, I mean, is he setting himself up to, to drop him in the summer? And, I mean, like, Phil, can you afford to drop a player of his quality when, I mean, so he, he obviously has, has a mistake or two in him, but, I mean, offensively, I don't think there's anyone in the world who, who can offer what he does.
3: Uh, f- from a, a very personal and selfish point of view, the only Liverpool player I really care about playing international football is Squeevin Kelleher. <laughs> like, if I had my way, no other Liverpool player would ever go to a camp where he could pick up an injury or, you know, get COVID or anything like that. But, you know, it makes them happy and it fulfills their career. So, like, as for as long as of wants want to play international football, I'd like to see them get picked. Like, I watch Liverpool week in week out. I don't watch other sides as much. And... It just so happens that right now England have a real, well, they've got talent all over in in all parts of their squad, but like they're kind of like an amplified version of us with Weave Coleman and Doherty at right back. They've got four. I mean, you're not even talking about Aaron Mbazaku, who's probably going to have to change international allegiance because he, he's coming in kind of fourth or fifth on the list. Reese James, Karen Trippia, Walker, Alexander Arnold, um, and you're not. Then you, even if you're talking about any other wide right midfielders, who might get guys like Empty and stuff right. as well. So, like you know, it's it's a ridiculous level of depth. Watching Liverpool for the last couple of weeks or for the last couple of years rather, it would feel strange for Trent to get left out. That like he wouldn't be find space in a 23 man squad for a major tournament, I'd nearly find it impossible. But it's like I I personally would put him in a 23 man squad. I could see a world where he doesn't get taken because of everything. Enda said Trippy is probably more balanced for what Southgate wants. Walker is playing quite well. Walker covers right centre or centre back in a tree as well. Which obviously Trent is quite specialised in one position, but then as you said, I think he just offers enough or like enough different differentiation that yeah. it'd be strange not to take him. And um, but like at this point, there's no games other than the friendlies, right? Until uh, the Euros, it's not a massive stretch to see him not going now. I mean, he's left out of the last competitive games before the Euros, and really Trent's worst form was probably around the turn of the year when Liverpool were going through their worst patch he'd actually probably been a little bit better in the last couple of weeks uh, and for him still to be left out uh, like I, I think it's a real possibility he doesn't go now I wouldn't do it personally but it's a not too slippery slope from here to there I don't think.
0: Yeah I, I think this goes back to the functionality that Liverpool have had in the last two seasons and just how impressive that midfield three have been in terms of covering Trent and alexander Ireland in particular I mean if you look at the United match a few years ago where you know he was panned by Rashford Liverpool haven't really let that happen since you know between Van Dijk and the three midfielders Um and they're confident leaving Robertson one-on-one one on the other side because you know his defending is probably you know slightly to a higher standard than Trent. whereas with Liverpool losing that balance in midfield this season as well as losing Van Dijk and then they've had you know the drop of confidence as well I, I think it's kind of been a perfect storm for him and then the the England situation has just put more pressure and more spotlight on that. I mean, we were just used to him being so naturally good every single week um, that, you know, once the drop did happen, it was going to be um, quite obvious. Um, and it's really kind of all just caved in for him at the moment. So I probably can't see him going at this point. Um even though personally, I think, you know, a 23-man squad, especially with somebody like him who could play an attacking midfield, an attacking right-wing role if you're, you know, chasing game, and his set-piece delivery as well is absolutely yeah. fantastic. Although Trippier trippy is very good as well, but he'd be a great option to have. I would have liked to have seen England at some point during the year, which is, isn't going to happen now, obviously, as Phil said. He might even change allegiances. AWB just because, you know, if they need somebody to defend against an Mbappe for 30 minutes, you know, Wambasaka potentially could do that in, in an international tournament, whereas Walker, Trippier, uh, Trent um, probably would struggle a bit more. But again, South Bay, Southgate has kind of you know uh, put that on his head, so um, I can't really see Trent working his way back in now unless something spectacular was to happen. I mean, um, and I think Southgate would have been quietly relieved that you know after a good performance against Arsenal that he was kind of back to making a few. Basic errors against Madrid it kind of justifies his his selections um, and again with Grealish being out injured as well it's all kind of falling into place in terms of the people he wants to bring to the tournament in a few months time being the ones who are performing week in week out and performing well as opposed to those who are out of form or injured.
1: Yeah, get ready for um, Mason Mount to play the tournament there in the summer. Um, huh. I, I, I find it a little bit funny that um, you know we're kind of. Criticising Trent's defensive abilities when, you know, England are looking at Kieran Trippier and and, and Kyle Walker in ahead of him. I mean, neither of them are, are kind of beacons of defensive fortitude. Um, neither are Paolo Mandini in in his heyday. I mean, uh, by all accounts, Trippier has kind of got back to his best form since he since he went back to uh, Atletico, and I mean, playing under Diego Simeone no doubt helps that. But I mean. Kyle Walker has a mistake in him. Um, obviously, he has a lot more experience on that stage than, than Trent does. Um, but I just, I just kind of wonder: are you playing a little bit too safe? Um, you know, I don't think you have. I don't think you have any truly fantastic defenders there where you could kind of justify not taking Trent. Um, yeah, but
0: that's what but, Southgate does, isn't it? Really, he he does go for the safer options. I mean, you know, um, will he bring Bellingham? Who knows? Uh, a lot of managers would uh would he bring Grealish a lot of managers would you know Sancho's selection is even in doubt now whereas you know Mount is a safer option than Grealish probably takes less risks in possession doesn't try and dribble as much um you know Trippier is certainly a safer option Walker has got a bit of pace and confidence back again that we haven't seen in the past couple of seasons but again would be a riskier option than Trippier but you know Maguire Mings they're very safe options um and then it'll either be Shaw or Chilwell. so I mean it 's not going to be a, a back three or a back four that really frightens any of any of the top nope. sides, but um you know southgate he's been in the job long enough that he feels he can trust certain players a lot more than others and um and if you 're not kind of part of the club at the moment for him um it it really is tough to get back in, no matter who you are. I
1: feel a quick word on club selection from Tuesday and um, poor old Navigator has really got going. I mean, he came to the club with so much hype. Um, obviously, he had to wait a season or so before um, before that went through. And he's, he's really, you know, been slow to take off. And he's had a lot of injuries. And, I mean, his body hasn't seemed up to the cut and thrust of, of Premier League action and playing week in, week out. And, you know, I was kind of surprised to see him start on Tuesday. But then again, I wasn't. Um, because, I mean, all the way coming into the game was that okay, Liverpool are down two of their starting defenders, but so are Real Madrid. So, you know, they did have a lot of, they could have been vulnerable through the center. And if you had a player of Keita's caliber kind of coming into the box later on, uh, more so than someone like thiago who, um, who was coming off kind of a, a little bit more of a hectic um, international window. And it kind of backfired straight away, didn't it? I mean, he didn't get going in the game. Um, I don't think anyone got going but Cade in particular you know it, 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 to get hauled off in the 42nd minute to not even be given the the respect of, of holding out till half time and, and and a little bit more of a, a low key withdrawal there at half time he was he he was pulled in front of in front of the world even though there was no fans there
3: Yeah I, I think he was probably the unfortunate one in that he was easier to take off than anyone else even though there was probably you know Seven or eight candidates to get a hook, um, but it, it was a more obvious and easy replacement for, for, for Thiago to come in for him than it would have been to replace um Fabinho or Will Mugnialde, who I thought were equally bad in the first half. Um, I was surprised when he got the go ahead as well. i see Klopp beforehand said, first of all, he's you know, shooting lights out and training, and second of all, we're looking for dribblers because they defend man to man. I also thought, in the absence of Firmino, who in these big games is really good at kind of sitting on the opposition's sitting midfielder and putting pressure on him. I thought maybe the idea would be that Kaita would nearly replace that in the opposite direction because he his his most effective performances for Liverpool have tended to be when he leads the press and he gets really, really high up the pitch. Like I'm talking like, ed, like edge of the D sort of high in terms of putting pressure on and nicking balls back. And I thought maybe that was the role he was going to bring. Real obviously negated that a little bit. Nabi didn't take very well to it. Um on his general performance for Liverpool, like you said, he's been so stop-start with injuries and stuff, and there's been like flashes, but they're getting slimmer and slimmer and fewer and further between. Than like I was holding out and I wanted to give him all the time in the world. I think at this stage is probably likely to say it's not going to happen for him at Liverpool, which is a real pity because that not his last season at Leipzig, but the season before that convinced him to to splurge. He was incredible, like absolutely brilliant, and um, but. That His last season at Leipzig, I don't know whether it was because his head was turned or whatever, he had those disciplinary problems and it didn't go great. And it just, he, he hasn't settled at Liverpool. And I think if Keita turned out to be the player that they thought they were buying, I'm not sure if Thiago would sign, if that makes sense. Um, Keita would be one of those players that could evolve the style of the team slightly, which is what everyone now agrees Liverpool need. After a couple of years of really sustained success with I said that kind of functional midfield, There probably needs to be a bit of an evolution. Keita could really have been part of that, um, but he hasn't been able to show it. I think his time, unfortunately, is running out. That was a big stage to get it wrong on. Um, He also played in the 3 0 semi final first leg defeat to Barcelona uh, in 2019. Obviously, that turned around quite well, but he's been present on a couple of stages where Liverpool have been either outclassed or outthought, and that's probably not a great look for him. Um, But yeah, like I felt from getting hooked. I think it was a, a wider point Klopp was making and, and Kaito was the fall guy, but um, I'm not sure how many more serious minutes he's going to get. Like I certainly wouldn't expect to see him yeah. again next Tuesday. Um, Klopp does have a bit of a on for sticking in lads who need to exercise a ghost, um, but I wouldn't expect to see him next Tuesday. I'd say he's probably up against it, and if they get, I'd, I wouldn't be surprised if they got an offer of decent standing in the summer if they didn't consider it.
0: Yeah, I was full-on Nabi Keita FC after his first season um, in (laughs) Germany and (laughs) utterly despondent when Liverpool announced that they were signing him because, I I mean, I just thought it couldn't be the more perfect, really, combination in terms of club, manager, player, um, you know, just how electric he was. And even, yes, his second season in the Bundesliga wasn't great, but there was still enough there to say, right, he'll get it right next season. This is definitely going to be a player that will work out for Liverpool. Um, you mentioned that Thiago had a tough international break. I mean, Caser travelled to Africa and played two matches for Guinea, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. So um, I thought it was just a night for Thiago back in Spain. Big match against Real Madrid. I mean, it was really the Champions League where he found his form for Bayern last season. You know, um, they kind of strolled the league in the end. But those performances, you know, against Bayern, against PSG, um, that's really where Thiago... Um, alongside Goretzka in that kind of 4-2-3-1. He really looked his, at his, the best he's played probably in his career. So, you know, not starting him on a night like that was a really big surprise for me. And and Katie didn't really look like he knew what he was supposed to do. You know, he didn't cover the midfield. He didn't really dribble. He was sloppy in possession. He, It was really a nothing performance. Now, he wasn't helped by the midfielders either, but um, it was almost like he didn't expect to be in the game. And then he, all of a sudden, he's standing there with Tony Cruz just pinging, you know, these... 70 yard crossfield passes to Vinicius, you know. Um so uh I certainly wouldn't have hooked him after 41, 42 minutes. So I mean that's just a type of embarrassment that, you know, his confidence is shaky enough as it is. Maybe Klopp was trying to make a statement, but he usually isn't that type of manager. Um his man- management at Liverpool, since he's he's joined, has been, you know, exemplary, you know, and other managers uh would have been um criticized heavily for that type of, you know embarrassment really so i was very surprised that that happened and i felt even if it was liverpool i did feel a bit sorry for him in the end
1: in my defense there i think um i think he was left out of guinea's last game against namibia so he he, he was home a couple of days before uh, before tiago there Fair old
0: trip though come on <laughs> it's, 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 it's still a bit of a trip in fairness
1: quick word on man city dortmund we'll get a, a little bit more in-depth with, uh, with Steph and a little later on. But one thing that kind of caught people's attention um, was after the game when uh, Erling Highland was caught with the uh, with the linesman um, getting an autograph. Um, I mean, straight away, it was kind of like, "What, you know, what's going on here? Um, some people are like, you know, is, we, we, what sort of ethics um, are involved with, with a, a referee, you know, kind of chasing after the the superstar on show to get his autograph after the game he knows they're kind of like a a clash of of interest there um and then i think it was confirmed today or, or maybe yesterday that uh that the romanian official was uh was looking to auction off the signature for for charity um so put a, a couple of people back in their boxes including myself because uh, i thought i thought it was very strange to see a referee i mean as well like helen's still only 20 um and to see a referee fawning over um a twenty-year-old at, at the start of his career seemed a bit odd to me. I, d- I don't know. If, has that settled it for you? That, you know, it's for charity. It's all good. In, it's all in, in good faith. Yeah, I
3: mean, I suppose you have to take the man and his word, and that it's not kind of like a retroactive decision off the basis of um, off the basis of the reaction. Um, but like it, it, it is weird. I mean, the optics of it is weird. Um, I know they asked Pep about it after the game. He wasn't too bothered. Um, but, you know, he was kind of in his kind of regular post-match salty mood, so I don't know, um, you can't really take him too seriously. Uh, but it, it, it looked strange at the time, um, but all you can do, I suppose, is, is take take the man at his word that that's what it was always intended for, as opposed to it being a reactionary thing there based on the the feedback you got of people.
0: Yeah, I would have, have been, of your opinion, Kev, like how much are you really going to get for the signature? But then when I actually um, looked into it, I mean... Um somebody who has an autistic daughter uh, in the country only gets the equivalent of 88 pound a month from the state um, in Hungary, uh, which is where this donation will apparently be going to for an autism center. So clearly it's probably going to highlight a bigger issue there. So that alone, I, I think it's worth it but at the time. I, yeah. you know, I was a bit, a bit embarrassed for the guy, to be honest, <laughs> seeing him chase Hallen down, um, down the tunnel at full time. But when you actually look into it, it's, um, you know, hopefully it highlights a bigger issue in Hungary, which is that um, what the state actually provides parents of autistic children is a very, very meagre sum, uh, and they rely heavily on donations. So um, with that being said, yeah, I think that's fair enough.
1: Mm. In terms of the Wednesday night games, then, I was subject, um, I think, unfortunately, to, to Chelsea and Porto. Um, but you led so Bayern and PSG, and it looked like Mbappé doing Mbappé things there as usual.
3: It was absolutely wild, Crack. It was brilliant. Um, it was a real Rolligan Champions League knockout tie between two really well-matched or like evenly matched sides. Um, <clears throat> Bayern had most of the possession, most of the shots, most of the best chances, uh, but PSG have Mbappé, and so they won, basically. Um, it's setting up for a great second leg I thought everything about it like the the snow the whole lot of it I thought was just it kind of set it into this kind of Mm. like kind of a a mania nearly like it wasn't very controlled it wasn't relaxed it wasn't like like it wasn't a game like when you came away from Liverpool on Tuesday and you said God what Madrid did in terms of like inverting their midfield tree dropping the two play markers back and letting Casemiro go up forward and it wasn't that kind of tactical analysis it was like didn't Bayern have loads of shots and wasn't Mbappe brilliant yeah, you know, like that's, you know, sometimes that's all it takes is, you know, somebody kind of taking a game and shaping it, shaping the narrative of it just by being better than everyone else.
0: Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, we talked a few weeks ago about how we're all pretty wiped out and exhausted by the season. But then a game like that comes along and I agree, the early goal, the snow, just, you know, just it was just fantastic to watch. Um, thought Pochentino got away with it a little bit in terms of, I mean, his substitutions were a bit bizarre, bringing on. Herrera when Marquinhos got injured and then uh, moving Danilo to centre-back. I mean, Bayern were just creating chance after chance after that happened. Uh, PSG started very well, Neymar and Mbappe in particular, but after that substitution and injury, um, Bayern had full control of the game. And if Lewandowski had been there, I think it could have been a very different night for Bayern. But um, yeah, it was just... An unbelievable game, really. It was like as if it wasn't even the first leg of a match. It was just—it yeah. was like watching the last ten minutes of a second leg for ninety minutes. It was just bizarre, <laughs> for some reason. Uh, nobody had any control over the game. Um, you know, some of the defending at times was comical. Kaylor Navas was fantastic as well, which kind of added to the drama. no actually had a terrible night, which uh, so it was just something—something something happened every few minutes. Um, so it was really great to see, and, and similar to the Porto Juventus second leg, it's something that really kind of re energizes you for a few weeks into watching more football yeah. again because, you know, certainly the first five or six months of the season, there weren't really any games like that where you just kinda of were looking forward to the next one. It was just more of a bit of a slog really. Whereas, you know, that Bayern PSG second leg, even though there'll be no Lewandowski, um, will could really be fantastic. So I'm really looking forward to it.
1: Seeing the the highlights online and the snow kinda of, I think Phil you mentioned similar kinda of reminded me of um our own early noughties, Eurosport, yeah. kind, of, uh, kind of scraggly vibe to it. It, it. it looked like a kind of a classic Champions League game and something we were well overdue. Quick point um, before we go on to Stefan, an Irish kid on the block. And I did up a little piece um, for the website the other day, just after his, um, his debut against Preston in the one-all draw there. Um, and I mean, he's gone from strength to strength since then. Norwich and, and Andrew Omo uh absolutely hockeyed Huddersfield um, on Tuesday evening, 7 0, I think it finished. And I mean, Norwich are top of the league uh, in the Championship, um, about to get promoted into the Premier League, which is hopefully a good sign for, for Adam Ida, um, even though he could be on the, the loan list maybe for a move to the Championship, considering, I suppose, how quiet of a season he's had this year. But um, a leap led, just like our Phil here, Um, Um, (laughs) Omba Midele. He's still only 18, but by all accounts and and everything's kind of pointing towards uh, uh, an Irish international in the making here.
3: I taught him everything he knows, lads. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Who's the bigger talent, you know? Uh,
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, unbelievable. I mean, this has kind of come from nowhere, really. I mean, he only has a handful of appearances that, you know, youth level for Ireland he was playing for league slip up until two years ago signed at 16 by Norwich played pretty well in in PL2 last season contract extension at the end of last year and in his two games I mean it's only been two games and one of them was against Hudderfield and yeah. poor old Joel Pereira on loan from United got yeah drafted into goal in the last minute when <laughs> when uh, the keeper went down in the warm-up so uh, everything went from that night but um I mean, some of the stats from his first two games are absolutely outrageous. He's won all his interceptions, all his duels. In Huddersfield, he had 84 out of 86 passes completed, which was like 98% or something like that. I mean, you know, we had some pretty (laughs) downbeat discussions about Ireland there back a few weeks ago, and it was a really, really tough going, and we were all trying to find something, somebody to get us excited about. Cueven Kelleher, maybe Nathan Collins, Ida, Troy Parrott, all these guys, but what this guy has done in two games and to see the way Norwich talk about him, the club and the fans, it's unbelievably exciting. And he seems, you know, again, not to be talked, use traditional speak, but you know, he seems to enjoy tackling as well, like a proper centre back. He's obviously brilliant on the ball as well, very big for his age. So, I mean, if he progresses properly and we see him in an Ireland shirt soon enough, I mean, this could be a phenomenal player for us and somebody who could really change the entire team really for Ireland, because we, we, haven't had a player that English clubs and particularly a Premier League club, which they will be next season, get as excited about an Irish international in a long time. I mean, you know, Coleman obviously got Everton fans very excited, McLean when he first came into the Sunderland team. But that aside, I mean, everybody else has kind of been. Like Troy Parrot or something like that, a bit of a younger player who you hope will will play well, but I mean this guy looks absolutely brilliant um and it's very exciting and and I hope he just plays well for the rest of the season and, yeah. and goes from there, and that there's not yeah. too much pressure on him
3: just to point out Nathan Collins also from Ni, but you know who's keeping by right?
0: <laughs> good stuff in the water down there, I've heard you yeah. <laughs> <Number laughs> we breed
3: them big out here,
1: just have to find a few strikers on their necks, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not all rosy, I suppose, um, in the Irish camp this week. Um, I mean, Euro 2020 has been a, I mean, a forgetful competition overall, hasn't it, since getting postponed last year. Um, it looks like the Dublin fixtures are going to get pulled. Um, I don't think that's been confirmed yet, but I mean, the FEI and the Irish government haven't been able to adhere to UEFA's expectations there, I think, in terms of 25% um, stadiums, which even though we're kind of well into um, a vaccination period, still seems a little bit hopeful, in, in my opinion. I mean, I do, I'd, I'd be very surprised if we go the whole tournament without some sort of behind-the-closed-door fixture at some point. Um, and then we'd be kind of wondering why, you know, why couldn't Dublin hold on to their games? But, I mean, not only are Ireland not there in, 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 in the tournament, now Dublin have been pulled at their chance to, to represent as well.
3: It, it's obviously a a real pity for everyone who's been really invested in organising it for quite a long time. I mean, we were we were confirmed at ho, in, as hosts, like, what was it? Was it 2016 or was it that, was that long ago we were confirmed mm. as hosts? And so there's been people working on it uh, in the FAI and Dublin City Council and, and various sort of bodies for a long time. But I suppose when you were dealing with, at most, 25% capacity, like the appeal of games being here, if we weren't going to be there, was like you know the fans coming over, the fan parks being packed, kind of a bit of a festival atmosphere. And um, if you're only dealing with twenty five percent capacity and reduced international travel, the appeals of the game being here lessen a little bit, I suppose. And um, you know, personally speaking, it's maybe not a bad thing that that England aren't playing here. I don't know uh, how how much we would have enjoyed an English away day in Dublin City Centre. And um, I don't know if that would have been brilliant or not, but. um yeah, like it's a, it's a terrible pity for the for the FAI and everyone who put a lot, a lot of effort into it if it does come to pass that they lose the games. But I think in our absence from the tournament the real appeal of it would have been getting to kind of share in the joy of, you know, the Polish fans coming over and and so on. And without that the loss of the games are probably less keenly felt than they would have been otherwise.
0: Yeah, I think without Ireland being there and then you don't get the economic hit and then the government obviously ha- has a lot on their plate as it is and obviously have a very strained relationship with the FAI. So, you know, part of me is thinking, um, you know, perhaps wrongly, but it was almost like when, you know, the episode of Father Ted where they throw the Eurovision so they don't have to host it the next year. I just think <laughs> 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 I just kind of thought maybe they just don't want the hassle of just having to, you know, go through all the effort of to get 25 percent of you know, the Aviva full for Poland against whoever, you know. Um, so, uh, but it's a huge shame. I mean, I the, the guy I order my signage um, on site from work, I mean, he he had the contract to do all the signage in, uh, last year. And he, I mean, he's been in bits since then, you know. So, I mean, you know, Kev, you had a friend who, who's been working on this the last four years. So, I mean, the economic yeah. implications of this for the people who are relying on this, you know, won't be felt for a long time, similar to uh, the fallout from COVID. But uh, when you actually see businesses and people who've been affected by this, I mean, it really brings it all home. And and it's a big shame that we couldn't at least get a few games over here just to have something for them to look forward to. So, um, no, I was gutted when I heard the news, you know, because, you know, Ireland hosting or joint hosting a major tournament is something I've wanted to be part of my whole life, you know, just to be in the country when that happens. And now that's gone, so... Um, it's a huge shame, and uh, you know I was pretty devastated when I heard the news.
3: First, I thought you'd your bollocks to
1: me, <laughs> this is Delighted to be joined by Stefan Bienkowski, a German football reporter for the Independent, amongst others. Thanks for coming on, Stefan. Hope you're well.
2: It's a pleasure, guys. Thanks very much.
1: Um so we've had German football on the short list for a while in terms of, you know, kind of leagues that we wanted to take a closer look at. And I think we've kinda of, we, we we've caught it on a on a bad week after the, the Champions League results during the week. Um although there's there's still plenty to play for in both ties. Um let's start with Dortmund, Stefan. I mean although they they're well in it against City, their their league form has kind of been pretty abysmal this season. They're fifth in the table, they're they're seven points off Eintracht Frankfurt and Ford, who beat them last weekend, for a team with so many coveted players, are, are are they significantly underperforming?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of your listeners who maybe don't follow the Bundesliga quite a lot may have watched that Manchester City match and thought, you know, there's nothing wrong with this Dortmund team, and they certainly put on a good show. Um, but you know, there are there are kind of serious issues with this team. Um, which you could probably spend the whole episode kind of going through bit by bit. Um, but, you know, they started the season off relatively well, but then things started to kind of fall apart. Uh, Lucien Favre was in charge, who, you know, is a very well respected Bundesliga coach, but but by no means has the reputation um, to really, you know, suggest that he was the guy to kind of take Dortmund forward. He'd done relatively well, got into second place the uh, previous season. Um, but I think when form started hitting the rocks, uh fans, people who never really rated him from the get-go, used as an opportunity to say, "Up, oh, look, this is this is what we thought was going to happen on the favorite and to be fair, he was under he was under quite large expectations to be to return Dortmund to that place where they could challenge Bayern Munich for, you know, ninety percent of the league before maybe Bayern maybe pull away for the last three or four weeks of the season. And you know, over the course of their first what, eight or ten games, they didn't seem like doing that. Um, in a kind of ironic turnaround in a roundabout way, having these kind of young talents in the team, you know, Bellingham's probably the most obvious one of the minute, although at that point he was still quite unknown quantity. Um Halland, you know, score goals for fun since the, the start of the year when he moved to the club in January, Jade Sancho doing what he does well. Um and there are other players in that young in that team as well. Um, there was a huge kind of sense of opportunity lost um, under Favre, and you know, he obviously gets sacked. Even Terzic comes in as the interim head coach, and where maybe a club of Dortmund's size in Spain, Italy, England would have kind of you know went out of the way to bring a new coach in as quick as possible. Boone Edge uh, uh, Dortmund and a kind of which is a kind of very Bundesliga way of doing things, um, decided that, you know, they were just going to see out the rest of the season and make the proper appointment uh, at the end of the season, even though they had full intentions of hiring another Bundesliga coach in Marco Rosa. Um, but unfortunately, that's just kind of made uh, a terrible situation worse because um, with all due respect to Terzic, he's an interim head coach. He's never really been a manager Um in his career, if I'm not mistaken, and he certainly hasn't shown the quality to suggest he was ready to make a step up to Dortmund. Um, they often run around the pitch looking like 11 individuals. Um, the most recent game against Eintracht Frankfurt, um, prior to the Man City game, was a match which Dortmund really showed the difference between a Dortmund side that had very little coaching and an Eintracht Frankfurt one, which have you know possibly maybe the most impressive team in the Bundesliga this season if you kind of want to go pound for pound. Um, it showed the kind of stark difference between a good team that are well coached and a team that have good players but are kind of terribly coached. So maybe that's why when they come up against a team like Man City, all these players can focus and do their jobs. But week to week, um, they've continued dropping silly points. Um, they've continued showing very little uh, of what you know the talent would make you suggest there is there. But they certainly need a good coach to come in and kind of shake things up, that's for certain
1: all eyes are on Erling Haaland at the moment, moment obviously um, and obviously there were reports earlier this week that Mino Raiola and um Alpha Inge were jetting all over Europe kind of looking at club CEOs fluttering their eyes and fluttering um, checkbooks in their faces trying to lure him away from Dortmund I mean obviously he's had a, a pretty spectacular season and, and he looks the real deal um, do you expect him to move on this summer I mean like you, like you pretty succinctly subscribe there that you know Dortmund are struggling. They're going to be under a little bit of more of an unknown quantity with it, with a new manager next year. Um, they kind of have this reputation of of a finishing school in a way, where you know they kind of rely on young players and they're happy to to bring them through and then move them on. Do you expect Haaland to to be the first of those to move on in the summer, maybe?
2: Uh, it's it's the 100 million euro question at the moment um it, you know week to week the situation does seem to change it is is genuinely the biggest story in world football at the moment dortmund for their part routinely say he's not for sale um they routinely reject the idea that failing to qualify for the champions league which now looks likely um would require them to sell him um and that they have the finances in place to make sure that they don't have to sell a Sancho or a Haaland or whoever else to to pay the bills. I think the real question will probably come about from what Haaland wants to do. Um, You know, the interesting thing about that game against Man City was that even though maybe there was a good team performance, he was pretty quiet. Um, And, uh, you know, he picked up a a good assist for the Marco Royce Royce goal. Um, But he was quite isolated from the team uh, and if I'm not mistaken, that's now five games he's gone with the, with club and country without scoring uh, a goal, which I think is actually the longest um, run he's gone in his very short career today without scoring a goal. And you can't help but kind of draw comparisons between that and it coinciding with, as you say, you know Mino Raiola being pictured at the Barcelona airport, and you then kind of watch the Frankfurt game of the weekend when he spent the entire match with his hands in his on in the air frustrated at the lack of service he was getting. You look at the numbers, uh, which I've been doing recently, and they kind of suggest that unless Jaden Sancho's on the pitch and in form, Dortmund don't tend to win games. And more often than not, Erling Haaland struggles to get service. So, you know, Dortmund might be able to point to their, you know, their bank account and say, look, we don't have to sell Haaland this summer, but they they may end up being pushed into it either way. Um, from the players' demand to kind of move on, simply because he might think, I've done all I can here. I'm scoring goals for fun in the Bundesliga. I'm scoring goals for fun in the Champions League. But it's pre- I, I get pretty fed up whenever we come against a decent team that, you know, um, unlike Robert Lewandowski or unlike Kylian Mbappe, I don't have three or four world-class midfielders behind me who can kind of put uh, the ball on a plate for me. So, I mean, financially, I don't think Dortmund... Um, I don't think Dortmund feel they have to sell them. I think they also believe from you know, just kind of reading between the lines of what their CEO and things have been saying in recent weeks, I don't think they fully expect an offer of the kind of numbers that have been quoted in the newspaper to come down the line either. Um, and I think that probably applies to Sancho as well. Uh, however, it would be, be really interesting to see um, if Erling Haaland kind of pushes a move through in the summer because they're not playing the Champions League or... Even if they do scrape to fourth place, whether you know he starts making demands that things really, uh, the club itself and the team itself, you know, really kind of pick itself up because, as we all know, he's a world class talent and he's not going to be staying at Dortmund very long if they continue kind of fighting between fourth and fifth place every season. And you know, well, they haven't been knocked out of Champions League again. Perhaps they might go on and beat Manchester City, but he's obviously got huge ambitions. He probably, if this if this was the Dortmund of yesterday year under Jurgen Klopp when guys like Robert Lewandowski could feasibly argue that they could reach a Champions League final if the stars aligned this isn't the kind of squad that can do that so even if, I guess my overall point here is even if Dortmund's finances suggest that they don't have to sell them I think maybe on sporting reasons they may feel quite a lot of pressure from the player himself maybe his representatives to, to uh, you know, maybe move them on sooner rather than later
0: Stefan, you mentioned Marco Rose there earlier and obviously it was announced a few weeks ago that he would be Dortmund's next manager and since then Gladbach's form has fallen off a cliff really which is quite ironic considering they're challenging Dortmund for that, probably for that final Champions League place along with um, Frankfurt. First thing, was it necessary to announce it at the time and secondly, was it part of the tactics considering they are going head-to-head for the rest of the season for that final spot?
2: Yeah, this, this kind of um, fits in with what I was kind of saying earlier on about this kind of very Bundesliga way of approaching things. Of It's not really a, um, a culture of kind of swooping in front of our players and our team's head coach uh, mid season. But because of the kind of transfer speculation, because of the media attention over what was happening, it was the kind of worst kept secret in Germany that Dortmund were going to sign Marco Rosa, that he had a the equivalent of a minimum fee release clause that Dortmund could activate. And it became pretty apparent as well that he wanted to go um, as well. It was, it, the difference was kind of chalk and twos. I think the first game was that kind of derby against Cologne uh, in which they lost. And from then on, in, it just seemed as though the players had dropped tools. It looked as though the manager had dropped tools. The real kind of victim in all this was Gladback's sporting director or chief executive, Max Eberl, who's a very smart guy. He's one of the smartest chief executives in the division he was also having to come out every week, pre post match, saying, "No, oh, you know, I'm I'm sitting here fighting for Rosa. He's going to stay. He's going to stay." Uh, and then eventually, the club had to put out a statement saying, "Look, he's look, he has agreed terms with Dortmund. He's going to move on." Uh, and that did have a kind of huge backlash in the league itself because, I guess, internationally everyone looks at the Bundesliga and things. So you know, Bayern Munich sign up all the best players, but Dortmund spend almost just as much money as well um, on players themselves. Um, you know, in, internationally, you know, Bleak kind of gets quite a lot of stick because it's perceived that Bayern Munich kind of just swoop in and sign all the best players, but Dortmund kind of do the same um, to the to the clubs below them. Quite specifically, Gladbach in recent seasons, and this was yeah another example of that. Um, personally, I think if they just went in and, and kind of picked up Marco Rosa during the winter break, I think both clubs would have been much better off right now. Um, Gladbach are now in the process of having to bring their own head coach in. Uh, there's been some spectacular transfer rumours, which I'm sure you guys are aware of. Um I'm sure they made waves in England and wider UK and Great Britain stuff as well. Um so it in an unfortunate way, Dortmund's kind of chaos at Dortmund is almost spread uh to Gladbach and it really has put a skipper a scupper in their season as well because they were doing so well. Um Rosa had taken them to new heights in the Champions League. They qualified for the last sixteen in their for the first time in their history and You know, last season they were a truly tremendous side. Again, explains why Rosa has been courted by Dortmund. But the real victims and all this, more than anything else, probably are glad back because it now ultimately means that they'll lose out on a Champions League spot next season, most likely.
0: Rosa came out and said that he wouldn't bring any players with him, which is quite surprising when you look at the squad he has currently at Gladbach, you know, Zakaria, Neuhaus, Player Toram, I mean, none of those were look out of place at Dortmund, so it's quite an odd thing to say, you know, they've signed, obviously, Hazard from Gladbach in the past and a few other players as well. Um, how do you think he'll go at Dortmund next season? He's still relatively inexperienced, obviously only has a few years under his belt at Salzburg, then a couple of seasons at Gladbach, and that's going to end quite badly for him by the looks of it. Do you think he is the type of manager that they've been looking for since Klopp? Obviously, he's very attacking, quite similar to Tuchel in that regard. They they went that route before with Peter Bose as well. Um, mm. Do you think it would be a good match? It's a really interesting question because it, it, uh, to answer that question, I guess you have
2: to kind of wonder how Dortmund will behave with him, whether they'll stick to their end of the bargain. I mean, to kind of go briefly back in time to the kind of Thomas Tuchel reign, who was the guy who was deemed a successor to Jurgen Klopp. Perfectly good coach, Klopp, uh, Tuchel. As, and, you know, as we as we now know, what he's doing at Chelsea this season, what he did at PSG as well. You know, a fantastic coach who probably was a worthy successor to Klopp, but he ultimately just, I am going to say through his toilet at the pram, that's maybe not the best way of describing it, but he basically ended up butting heads with the club far too much because of this kind of feigned transfer Policy that they have, and you know, I can understand why a lot of kind of uh, neutral fans or people who maybe don't follow the league would look at Dortmund and think, God, they've got such a great squad, one envious team to follow. And even though it might work well when you know you're playing against a game of FIFA, you can jump on and play as Dortmund. They've got these great young players. Sometimes the pieces don't all match up to build an actual squad. You know, they've got um, sure they've got Bellingham, sure they've got Haaland, sure they've got Sandro. Um, but or Sancho rather, um but they don't have many functioning fullbacks. Uh they haven't had a good goalkeeper since maybe Weidenfeller you know six or seven seasons ago. Their, their their whole back line is kind of built on Mats Hummels who you know he does a decent job, but he's not nearly as young as he seems to think he is when he's playing on the pitch most weeks. Um aside from Bellingham aside from Bellingham who, you know, on a side note, um I I don't think it'd be fair to suggest that every week he plays the way he did against Manchester City. He's still learning. He's still inconsistent. Um, You know, he's certainly not pulling up tree trunks every week for Dortmund just yet. But aside from him, that kind of central midfield position, there's a huge array of very average players there. And that's kind of the crux of the issue for Dortmund. Um, You know, they've got these kind of headline players who make waves throughout the world. But um, aside from that, um, they lack a depth and they lack a character outside of these kind of young players, which I think has been holding them back for some time. And that is a kind of characteristic, that's a consequence of the transfer policy the club's had since Jurgen Klopp left. That's why Thomas Tuchel fell out with the team. So I guess my round of the way, the point I'm trying to make here is that it'd be all well and good if Rosa can come in, he can get the team running, he can get them playing this kind of like, you know, heavy metal football, whatever you want to call it, because it is very similar uh, style of football to what Klopp played. Uh, it's a kind of traditional kind of, you know, what we would now call kind of modern German coaching. Um, but I, I just feel like whichever manager or head coach you put in that role, um, they are quite limited by um, the transfer policy that the club continues to play. Now, for the club's own part, reports and kind of comments from the hierarchy suggest that they're willing to accept that that hasn't worked so far, and there's no point <laughs> having... Erling Haaland there if, you know, they don't have the midfielders to kind of back them up or the defenders or whatever else. And there's no point in spending money on the centre-back if you haven't got a good goalkeeper. But um, that's the kind of main thing, I think, for me. I don't really have any doubt. I think Marco Rosa can do a really good job of coaching that squad. But I guess it just kind of comes down to what squad he's going to have to work with. Um, are Dortmund going to ignore the holes in their team and bring in another two or three young 17-year-old exciting players from England or wherever else? Uh, and just kind of hope that Rosa can paper over the cracks, or are they going to actually kind of turn things around and be like, do you know what? If you need, if you need this twenty-eight-year-old attacking midfielder who we might not be able to sell to Chelsea for sixty million pounds in a few years, but we might have to hold on to him and actually pay him beyond age of thirty, then that you know that more pragmatic approach would probably go a long way, and that probably even more so than Marco Rosa's ability to coach might dictate how successful he is as the head coach at Dortmund in the next couple of seasons.
1: Stefan, before we move away from, from Gladbach, there were reports a couple of weeks ago that Jabby Alonso was going to take over as manager, um, which got a lot of fans excited for various reasons. And then um, a couple of days later, that was kind of pulled. Uh, was it ever identified why why that happened? Was it on the radar at all? Or was it just some reports that, that caught wings and, and kind of took off before it was actually um, set in stone?
2: Yeah, it it, it kind of reminds me of that old saying that the you know that a lie makes its way around the earth twice or something before the truth gets a chance to walk out the front door. Actually absolutely, absolutely butchered that expression. I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but <laughs> it, it, put it, his it, pants it, on.
0: I think is the original. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah, expression. there they go. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> something like that. Um, and it and it was kind of something like that. You know, I think Beale kind of ran a story saying. Not only that Gladbach were interested in Xabi Alonso, but that they were set to announce him as their next head coach. I think it's Christian Falk. who's a very respected journalist in uh, Germany. Picks up a lot of exclusive transfer stories. I find it quite interesting that a few more of these kind of journalists that you hear through Flora and Twitter, who kind of jump on the back of these things, reported it as well as gospel. Um, But within about 12 hours... Um, Real Sociedad had come out and denied it. I think Gladbach had made a comment as well mm-hmm. saying it was nonsense. And then uh, I think Christian Falk himself came out on Twitter and admitted it was wrong, which I think was very big of him. Um, which, and I, and I guess to an extent, without turning us into a debate about journalism, I think kind of almost show allows him to kind of keep a degree of legitimacy and stuff by saying, look, when I get the ones wrong, I'll put my hands up and admit it. Um, and then, lo and behold, a few days later, Xabi Alonso then signs a contract extension at Real Sosta just to kind of make sure it was dead in the water. But, um lead us to say, I think the whole internet got very excited at the thought of Xabi Alonso as a head coach uh, in the Bundesliga. And, and, you know, maybe the reason behind that was is it's perfectly believable. You know, he's a very intelligent footballer. Uh, when he was a player, he, he speaks fluent German from his time in uh, Bayern Munich, which I think speaks a lot about him as well because a lot of players... They obviously get a lot of support to learn German when they're in Munich, but they maybe didn't take it on board as much as he did. Um, and as far as I can tell, um, he seems to be doing a great job with the Real Soestad B team as well. Um, so it certainly seems like a great coup for whoever does get him eventually. But yeah, this one just seemed almost like an April Fool's story. <laughs>
3: Stefan, it's fair to say it hasn't been the best week for German teams in European football. We obviously spoke about Dortmund and their kind of narrow loss to City earlier. Um but last night in an absolutely brilliant, wild game, uh Bayern lost their home leg uh three two to PSG. Um Bayern had like the, the possession, they probably had the best of the chances, but PSG had Mbappe, and maybe that was kind of the the difference. Um P- Bayern probably will be encouraged enough though by by how that game went other than the actual score. Do you think that they're going to go to Paris next week uh, full of the belief that they can still turn this around? I, I think it really depends who's
2: fit, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, I think the main issue last night uh, or on uh, Wednesday night was when um, the fact that so many key individuals did shop for Bayern Munich. I mean, quite literally in the case with obviously Lewandowski because he was out injured. Uh, Leon Goretzka has been one of the most kind of underrated or low-key best players Bayern Munich have had this season. He just he, he just dominates most games as this kind of powerful number eight box to box player. He goes off injured. Um, Nicolas Sula then goes off injured. Who they have to bring on Boateng, who's been quite injury prone and not injury prone, sorry, error prone this season. Uh, and then Manuel Neuer, who um, aside from maybe Lewandowski and Thomas Muller has been such a humongous player for Bayern. He's looked back to his best. Digs them out of situations week in, week out, um, and then all of a sudden he throws a goal in the back of the net, which Mbappe fires right at him. So, you know, Hansi Flick after game was kind of saying, Look, we weren't clinical in front of goal. I was happy with the way we played. And I know these kind of things often sound like just kind of generic nonsense that managers say after games, but I can understand where he was coming from because it was almost like a perfect storm benefited PSG in that Mm regard. That's not really to take away from the fact that, you know, PSG are a very good team, but so, I think it really does come down to probably more than anything else where Lewandowski is fit or not. He was initially ruled out entirely for this tie. Um, he came back himself and said, No, I'll be back fit in two weeks. And you only have to take one look at Robert Lewandowski and think, Look, the guy knows what he's talking about when it comes to fitness and gym work and all things like that. Um, his wife is a a kind of very famous kind of um, phys- physiotherapist as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's fighting fit for that game. And that can make a huge difference for Bayern. They really do rely on Lewandowski more than... I mean, it's hard to kind of over, overstate how important he is this team. Not just because how good a player he is, but how rarely he gets injured. You know what I mean? I think um, I did a piece on this a few months ago, actually, the fact that If you look back at how rarely Lewandowski gets injured since he's moved to Bayern, it's kind of allowed the club to just avoid having to sign backup strikers at all. Um, And it's why they end up having to play someone like Chuba Moting, who, sure, he got his goal and, you know, he's still a decent player at a decent level, but he's no Lewandowski. I mean, you can fire the ball into the box and hope he'll head into the back of the net, but that's kind of the gist of it. Um, And that's kind of, and that's not really down to Bayern's inability to, you know, Buy players and look at what players they'd sign in the transfer window. It's down to the fact that they've kind of grown to appreciate that Lewandowski just doesn't tend to pick up big injuries, um, and of course Serge Gnabry was uh, struck down with COVID as well, so he had to isolate. And I think he would have probably ended up playing up front himself, and he's played that role for Germany for quite some time. He does very well with it and scores goals. So, I mean, I think if there's probably some PSG fans or people listening to French football listening to your podcast right now saying. Look, they missing a lot of key players as well, and I do understand that. But um, you could you could really go through the spine of that Bayern team and say either wasn't there, or didn't perform in the night, and if even maybe two or three of those players return for the return leg, I think you're probably looking at a different Bayern team. And I wouldn't be surprised if they did think they could go to that game and just outright win that match, and then um, yeah, and then turn the tie around. I wouldn't be surprised by that at all.
3: And obviously, just before the last international break, the big news around the German national team was Yogi uh, Love announcing that he's going to step away uh, from the Mannschaft after the Euros. Um, the, a name probably most readily linked to the job is Bayern's manager, Hansi Flick. Um, firstly, do you think that, that that's something Flick would actually consider? And secondly, if Flick was to move on, is it likely that Bayern will be going back to or Leipzig having taken their best player to try and take their manager?
2: well it is Bayern at the end of the day Um, the Hansi Hansi Flick thing is really interesting Um, the reports have just continued uh, despite the fact that first uh, you know it seemed quite outlandish to begin with you know they speak to Rummenigge who's currently the chairman at Bayern Munich he made a pretty disparaging comment basically saying Bayern Munich managers don't tend to leave the jobs to go coach in international football Um, but Behind the scenes, Bayern Munich are a bit of a nonsense at the moment. You know, they've got Salihamovic, who's the sporting director. He's continued to butt heads with Hansi Flick over transfer signings. Um, you know, just to make a few examples, um, he didn't want Leroy Sané, brought him in anyway. They didn't really replace Thiago Alcantara when he moved to Liverpool. They brought in Mark Roca, who's uh, kind of inexperienced, well not inexperienced, but he certainly hasn't shown his, his worth. Uh, they brought a right-back sarin from Marseille, who hasn't done the job. Um, and and uh, one of the most recent ones as well is that Hansi Flick was very keen on keeping Boateng at the club um, and there was quite a lot of media presence around that around the turn of the year and I think Salihamidzic and Flick have both kind of come out and said no, we'll, we'll sit down and we'll t- discuss a contract with him then all of a sudden prior to the PSG game Salihamidzic in an interview with German TV says look, we spoke the Boateng, he's not getting a contract Hansi Flick then has to try and answer that question post-match about a player that he wants to keep and he basically says to the media, um, no comment. And then when he gets pushed for it, he says, sometimes managers have to pretend to put on a smile. They have to act and pretend everything's fine. Um, obviously, in regards to the fact that he didn't want that player to go, didn't want the club to um, let him go. And he obviously didn't want to have to talk about it after Sajamovic announced it to the media prior to the game. So these two guys are button heads behind, back, behind uh, closed doors. And the real question is probably whether he's going to be pushed out by um before long, or whether the pull of the German national team will be enough for him to go. If he'd asked me a couple of weeks ago, I would have said I'd be very surprised if he did go, but the rumours and the stories don't seem to be disappearing from with regards to the German national team wanting him, but so too are the stories of him continuing having these fights with uh, the backroom back team at Bayern Munich. And for a guy who won the I mean, they call it the six triple. Tr- 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 I can't remember how you pronounce it. a horrendous name. Basically, it means they've won six titles last season. For a manager who's just won six titles, he really does storm in press conferences in a terrible mood because of presumably what's going on behind closed doors. So whether, it, maybe it could be a kind of combination of both. You know, maybe he does have huge ambitions of coaching the national team. He's obviously spent a large amount of his coaching career there. Maybe he always thought of himself as a successor to Yogi Love. So there could be a huge appeal to that, but I think the other thing, and perhaps is the more important one, is that um, he might think his days at Bayern Munich are numbered simply because he's getting pretty fed up with the way Sajamovic is kind of poking and prodding his team and not letting him have input into the players who get to stay and probably the players who will join in the summer.
0: And just on the national team then, obviously the 2-1 defeat at home to Macedonia was probably the biggest surprise of the international break. And when you look at that German team, you know, a centre-back pairing of Chan and Rudiger is probably as weak as a German centre-back pairing as you could find. And then Havertz was starting and his confidence is on the floor. Werner comes in and misses an open goal. I mean, there's just this snowballing effect on the national team at the moment since Yogilov announced that he, he would be leaving after the next tournament. I mean... How do you see them picking that up ahead of the Euros in the summer? Uh, and do you fancy their chances at all?
2: <laughs> I think you'd do well to find a kind of German football fan or a fan of the German national team who would fancy their chances this summer. Um, I mean, you're absolutely right. You kind of look at that team, and there are kind of glaring holes in it. Um, a large part of that's down to the fact that Jorgie Love obviously made the decision to drop Thomas Müller, Jerome Boateng, uh, Jerome Boateng, and Mats Hummels from the side. Um, I mean, I think Rudiger is a decent player, but I think most German fans would probably argue that they would really like to see a Homos or boating in there. Uh, You know, the same probably goes for um, Thomas Muller, maybe specifically. You know, I think he's one who's really probably pushing for maybe player of the year this season in the Bundesliga. That's how well he's really done this season. Um, He kind of looks as energetic as ever. He looks... um, God, how do you describe Thomas Muller? You know, he looks kind of as mercurial as ever, I guess, maybe. Um, And the issue here is that Loeb's obviously trying to force through this next kind of run of players. And as you say, the like guys that like have there, it's Timo Werner, um, maybe even Sani to a certain extent. Um, they haven't really got going yet. And maybe it seems like Loeb was trying to push through too much too soon. I think what we're probably going to see before the tournament is that these guys will actually be brought back in. The likes of homos, boating, or maybe not so much boating, but certainly Thomas Muller, that could make a huge difference. You know, I think, um, having like a homos and a, a, a Thomas Müller in the starting 11 for Germany does make a huge difference from someone like Kai Havertz at the moment or, you know, an Emery Chan at centre-half or Rüdiger at centre-half. Um, but when I think that's enough to really help them overcome some of these other teams that seem to have much more strength and depth at the minute, uh, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I think maybe a, a really telling, um, or what was quite telling about the kind of state of the German national team right now is the real clamour for... Player to kind of get his worth is I Amin mean, Yuniz, who's really exciting attacking midfielder uh, who's alone at Eintracht Frankfurt at the moment. Who, you know, very good player, very skillful, kind of tricky, jinky player, but um, by no means is he the kind of world star that you would expect to kind of put Germany on his back and kind of drag to the final of the European Championships. So I, d- I don't look at that German national team with much hope. I think Yogi Loeb's kind of outstayed his welcome as well as a coach a tactician. Um, and, you know, sure, they might be able to kind of pay over some of the cracks with Thomas Muller or Mats Hummels back in there. But um, I, I I would by no means suggest they're favourites this summer by any means.
1: I was just about to ask that, um, because whoever does take over from Lowe, I mean, he's been there nearly 16 years now. And it's a kind of a weird precedent to set in international football, you know, such longevity. It could be a tough one to follow, you know, not as too dissimilar to, you know, David Moyes taking, on, taking over from, from Alex Ferguson. I mean, you have a lot of mileage under the clock and a lot of success. It's going to be a difficult uh, pair of shoes to fail, even though he might have outstayed his welcome, like you said.
2: Yeah, and at the end of the day, he did win a World Cup. So, you know, he's by no means a bad manager. And, and the kind of ironic thing is when I think about what Lowe might do next, I could quite easily see him at a decent sized club. Um, ticking things along. He, he obviously has a certain style of football he likes to play. Uh, he has formations and tactics that he likes to employ. So, you know, there's no reason why that couldn't work at a certain club. But I think certainly kind of overstayed his welcome. And this is probably the, the main issue with international football to an extent. Um, even clubs like, or even nations rather, state nation-states like Germany, who have such a huge pool of players still very hard for these coaches and these managers to actually pull through um, a new set of players, implement a new start to living, new tactics, new formation. What they usually have to rely on is the chemistry of these players when they arrive at the club, or when they arrive at the national team training. Uh, you know, that team in 2014 that won the World Cup um, was largely built on, it was almost half and half, uh, Borussia Dortmund, Bayern Munich and then you've got the odd mezuzo in there or something like that, and that worked because these players already, you know, a either played with each other or knew the guys who played for their club back to front. Um, and I'm not trying to kind of take any credit away from Yogi uh, Love there, but I think that's just a kind of truism about international football as it is at the moment. Because you know we certainly don't get many international friendlies anymore. Every competition, every game that any international manager gets is a competitive one, which he has to win. Uh, So these guys just do not get time to kind of implement their own squads and build their own teams, I guess, to an extent. And I guess, aside from the World Cup, Lowe's really in fear and really in danger of his legacy being the guy who stayed on too long Mm. and tried to be the bridge between one generation and the next, when I guess in the modern game, in the modern international game, you really just have to make sure you have that pool of players. You have a manager who can get the best out of them. Uh, and then, when either the pool of players has run out of steam or the manager's run out of steam, you have to quickly swap them around. Maybe not the most romantic idea to cling on to that. That might just be the reality of modern football.
1: We've got this far without mentioning the team in second place in the Bundesliga, and that's RB Leipzig. Um, didn't Probably didn't give a good account of themselves um, against Liverpool in the uh, last 16 of the Champions League. But, I mean, they're, they're second in the league. They seem to be doing quite well. Um, it looks like they're going to get kind of plucked apart in the summer. Upamecano is um, leaving for Bayern. There's rumours that Ibrahim Akinati is off to Liverpool. I don't know if there's much truth in that yet, but he certainly seems to be on on there and a, and a lot of teams are there. And obviously, like Phil said earlier, um, Julian Nagelsmann could be on his way as well to Bayern. There's going to be a lot of turnover in the next year or two at like say, but do you expect that, that Red Bull machine to, to keep chugging along there?
2: <laughs> uh, it certainly is a machine, isn't it? I think that's probably what the most critics would describe the man as well. Maybe they themselves would kind of take that as a backhanded compliment. Um, <laughs> I, I think the mechanisms in place that make sure they do continue to pull through these outstanding players is certainly still there. You know, Obviously, Open Meccano is a key one who's moving on. I actually think Marcel Sabitzer will move on as well. Um, he's got a contract that expires in the next season. And, you know, if he if he, if he doesn't ex- sign a new deal, which seems unlikely, seems seems likely that he won't sign a new deal, I think the club will probably try and punt him to Tottenham um, or someone similar next uh, this summer. Um, and as you obviously mentioned, Julian Nagelsmann as well. I think Nagelsmann's an interesting one. Um, you know, he, kind of famously turned down Real Madrid when they came looking for him before he went to RB Leipzig uh, because they hoped he would kind of step in to replace Zidane the first time around and kind of knocked it back by saying he didn't have enough experience. He didn't speak Spanish. Uh, You know, he's still a young coach. Uh, I think he even suggested he didn't want to leave Germany at that point. So, you know, he has kind of stared down a huge super club before and said no to them. Um, And I just realised I didn't answer your question about Bayern Munich earlier on, so I'll do it now. Having said all that, I'd not be surprised if he did, um, if he or if he was tempted by Bayern this time around, um, because unlike Real Madrid, and I think he's been linked with Manchester United before, Bayern Munich aren't as much of a rebuild. Um, you know, they're a far more um, solid team. Um, even though I've just kind of spent ten minutes ranting about how may, the mayhem behind closed doors. Um, You know, I think they are far more better structured than a lot of the other super clubs at the moment, um, especially to ride out this kind of pandemic and the financial issues with it all. So I wouldn't be surprised if he is tempted to move to Bayern if they went for him, if Flick was to move on. Um, But if he does stick around, you know, I think they, they, they will continue to do well. I mean, aside from the kind of guys who who definitely will believe in Open Meccano. Um, They have already kind of got guys coming in who may very quickly kind of step up to the uh, the plate. They've got Samakin, who's coming in from Strasbourg. I've probably butchered his name there, but I've not actually seen him play yet. But, you know, he's, he seems, from by all accounts, a very uh, accomplished centre-half. They've got Brian Broby from Ajax, who a lot of clubs are chasing. He's a very excited centre-forward. Um, they've also got a really interesting 19-year-old centre-back from Dynamo Zagreb. Uh, who, again, I'll probably butcher his name, but it's Givardi, although um, as far as I can tell, um, I, and you know, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and suggest, look, this guy's going to come in and be amazing. But the point I'm making here is that every six months, one of the players does move on, but it seems every every month, RB Leipzig are kind of they are kind of running around Europe, kind of hoovering up these young players, and I think that's kind of what will continue to happen, um, with or without Lukaku, or with or without. Marcel Sir, and perhaps even without Julian Nagelsmann, um, I would be surprised if they could probably quite easily replace Nagelsmann to an extent, as then how they can get a coach who can play a kind of similar style to him um, and slot into their system very well. Um, but, yeah, it remains to be seen, I guess, what does happen. I, I, in terms of actually the only other thing i maybe add there that I'd, I'd maybe kind of pump the brakes on the Canati, to Liverpool story, if I'm being perfectly honest with you, um, only because... Really? Um, you know, it's perfectly logical that Liverpool might try and buy him, They might try and spend a lot of money on him but I think they would probably have to buy out his release clause to get him this summer Um, all the kind of suggestions that Leipzig have made publicly is that they're not really worried about that, simply because maybe the economics of European football at the minute, And, and you know, he's also he's had injuries at Leipzig, he hasn't really played a full season yet, if I'm not mistaken you know, this isn't really the same as Open Meccano to an extent, he might end up proving to be better than Open Meccano, but he hasn't had that consistency of, of, of game time as Open Mechano. so I would actually be quite surprised if um, Liverpool just kind of showed up in Leipzig with a blank cheque book to sign him. Um, so I would I wouldn't I'm not entirely sure if i if, if I believe that one to be perfectly with you, but yeah, some some other ones may move on Nagelsmann may move on, but I do expect the kind of RB Leipzig machine to keep rumbling on.
1: Indeed, great stuff. Stefan, thanks for coming on tonight.
2: It was a pleasure, guys. Thanks very much. I enjoyed it thoroughly. You, respect. Respect. Okay. Man. Respect, you
3: respect. Said you respect, man. Respect. Respect. Respect, man.
1: <laughs> so we leave it there, so. Okey-doke. Good night. <laughs> and God bless. <laughs>